word will be in Ezra chapter 8. If you would just pray with me uh, before we open up, dive in, read the scriptures. Let's ask, let's ask for the Spirit's help. Let's ask for the Lord's help for what he wants to do uh, in our hearts. Father, we, we humble ourselves before you and ask, Lord, that you would increase our faith, that you would strengthen the deposit of your Spirit in us, the part of us that is most important, the part of us that you say is more valuable than gold, the part of us that trusts you, our faith, deepen it, strengthen it, use our gathering and the word and the preaching of your word today to strengthen and encourage where faith might be weak or faltering, that you would use this time to build it up and strengthen it. Strengthen weakened knees. Make straight paths where there's a lack of clarity in hearts, where there's doubt, where there's confusion. Begin to speak by your spirit to help your people and to equip us so that we can finish our race well, trusting you for your glory. Amen. Amen. We're in Ezra chapter 8. Last week we spent time in Ezra chapter 7 where we introduced the character Ezra by whom the book is named after, who has written major portions of the book. And in that we talked about Ezra's faith and we took a high view, the 35,000 foot view of Ezra's faith and laid out the broad view of what it means to trust the Lord. And we talked about the source of of Ezra's faith or the object of it and it was focused in that text about it was the hand of the Lord at work and that was really the source and object of Ezra's faith and then we looked at the expression of it you heard it referred to again today it was his his heart for God's word that was the expression of faith is what it produced in him he loved God's word and he dove into it and studied it and pursued it and devoured it and then we revealed out of that text as well the result, the goal of what God is doing, the goal of what it's all about, to beautify his house, that there's this objective that God is working towards. By working faith in and through us, there's this objective of the house of God being ultimately beautified, adorned, glorified, and that's where we're heading and what it's all about. And so that gave the, the broad view of Ezra's faith. Now, Chapter 8, interestingly enough, just basically takes the same thing, but now gets down into the details. Now we're down on the ground floor, on the ground level. What does it really look like? And, and you know what this is like because many of you, you're walking through the Christian life and you hit your, your, your bumps and your obstacles and your challenges. And so what's, what's, the, what's the word to you? Well, you need to trust the Lord. And we remind each other that, and we say that to each other, and we say that to ourselves, well, I need to trust the Lord. But how many of you, and how many times, and how many situations you say, okay, okay, I need to trust the Lord, but what does it look like today, now, in this? How do I do it? Is it just a cliche? Is it just some ethereal statement? Oh, go trust the Lord. What does it really look like in my life, in my situation. So chapter 8 takes these concepts 
gets us down and walks through some of the details of what Ezra walked through. And so we can look at just a couple aspects of his faith on how it actually functions in his life. And in chapter 8, we have highlighted very two uh, very common, two situations that are common to all of us where we need to trust the Lord. One, where there's lack. There's not enough. Don't have enough. What do you do? How do you trust the Lord when there's not enough? And secondly, when there's danger. When we face danger, when there's risk, when there's trouble in front of us, confronting us, that we need to walk into or that we're standing in the midst of it, how do we trust the Lord in the midst of danger? We're going to look at chapter 8 in those details, but we want to keep in mind chapter 7. We don't want to forget the object of the faith that it was the hand of the Lord that was bringing this all about. We don't want to try to practice faith, put on faith, exercise faith, function in faith without our eyes fixed and set on the object of our faith. I spent some years in my Christian walk in what is known now as a word of faith church, and there were times when the emphasis on faith seemed to be an emphasis on faith in and of itself almost losing sight of the object of the faith. And we start focusing on, well, where is my faith? How is my faith? Your faith isn't strong enough. Your faith is great. I admire your faith. You have weak faith. And somehow in the mix, we lost the perspective that faith is good or bad based on its object. It's not just the, the, the function of trusting in something. It's the operation of the Spirit to actually trust in the Lord. That's where faith becomes genuine. That's where it becomes functional, helpful, and pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes we face situations where we lack things, and some of you are in one of those seasons right now. Sometimes we face danger, opposition, health issues, relational strife. By God's grace, Ezra chapter 8 will bring some light to our pathway for trusting the Lord in the realities of our life. To jump around a little bit in our reading rather than read through long list of difficult names to pronounce and be distracting, let me read verse 1 and then I'm going to jump ahead to verse 15. And as we lay out the message, you'll understand why we're sort of picking and choosing depending on what we want to emphasize together this morning. Ezra chapter 8 verse 1. These are the heads of their father's houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. And from there, we have the laundry list of people, heads of households, lots of names. This is basically the roll call of who is going on this mission from Babylonia down to Jerusalem. Pick it up in verse 15. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priest, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Jorib and Elnathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Ido, the leading man at the place. Casaphia, 
telling them what to say to Idu and his brothers and the temple servants at the place Casaphia, namely, to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely, Sherebiah with his sons and kinsmen, 18. Also, Hashabiah and with him, Jehiah and the sons of Moriah with his kinsmen and their sons, 20, besides 220 of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on us, all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Now jump down with me to verse 31 to the end of the chapter. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth the priest, son of Uriah, and with him Eliezer, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 76 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. And this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. We want to just highlight two aspects of Ezra's faith here, where there was lack and where there was trouble, where there were problems, where there was opposition. So the first point is Ezra's faith where there isn't enough. We're focusing there on verses 15 to 20. Now Ezra was given a mission, and if you've been with us, you understand the story. Ezra was commissioned by the king, go down, make this journey down to Jerusalem to enhance the house of the Lord. In other words, to bring the temple up to full operation. So some 60 to 80 years prior to this, Team one went down, made the journey down to Jerusalem, and rebuilt the temple. Now Ezra is gathering team two to come down and make sure that the temple is up and running, fully operational, fully functional, at its best, fully equipped, fully staffed. And so he gathers together, the word gets out, appeal, the king says, anybody, priests, Levites, temple servants, if you want to go down to Jerusalem, feel free. We'll pay the way, we'll pay your expenses, you make the journey down, just gather together. And so 
word gets out, and then Ezra has a meeting place, a gathering place, where he's going to wait for three days for everybody who wants to come, gathers there by this river, and he does a head count. I found there were none of the sons of Levi. Now, the role of the Levites, way right back to the laws of Moses, when God laid this out to Moses and established the temple, he said it's the Levites in particular, they're like the servants in the temple. They are given as a gift to the priest to assist, to help. They would manage and service the temple. They would guard the gates. They would handle much of the hard work of the sacrifices. They were given by God as the workers to assist the work of the temple. The temple functioned because there were lots of Levites making everything happen in the temple. Their role was important. Ezra knew, if I'm going to go down and properly reform the temple, if we're going to get this thing fully operational the way it was supposed to be, according to the laws of Moses, I need Levites to make this happen. And so there he is at the river. He's got about 4,000 people there, but no Levites. The mission required Levites in order to be successful. Keep in mind, the temple, was, this was the center of their society. It's not like you think of the city of Pasadena and then there's some lo- local church here. That temple was the center of their society. Everything was there. Put city hall, marketplace, church in one location, you've got the temple. The whole society functioned around this and it needed to be done right. It was a whole idea behind what God was doing, restoring this temple. And Ezra knew it well because he'd studied the word of God. It had to be done right. And yet he was about to do something, but he didn't have what he needed to do it. Now, being a Levite, probably not a very appealing job. We can read it and think it was an honorable thing to do, but... Basically, these are the doorkeepers, this is the security team, and these are the butchers. Hard work, dirty work, for many of them, thankless work. Now, at this point, we're talking 60 to 80 years after the first group goes down, so we could very well be talking about people that have found themselves now born, raised, well-established in Babylonia. Maybe having other careers, other jobs, maybe that they like better. i got a nice desk job. I've got a corner office. And yet the notice comes and says, okay, we want you to go and set up chairs at a church a thousand miles away. I want you to go butcher animals. I want you to get your hands dirty. I want you to go serve these priests. It's very likely that this was not a great appeal to these Levites. And so they didn't show up. I said, no thanks, we'll pass on this. So Ezra is there and has no Levites. And what does he do? And this is where Ezra's faith takes action. He steps up. Now, he he could have, like maybe sometimes you and I do, said, well, no Levites. Okay, call it off. I guess we can't go. We can't do it right. We thought the Lord was with us. We thought God was going to provide for us, but here we are, ready to go, standing by the river, ready to start our caravan trip down, and we don't have what we need to make the trip. One option. 
option of faith. What Ezra does, he says, all right. He pulls out his, his best leaders, his most influential, most articulate guys. And he says, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to this town. I want you to go to this leader of this town, and I want you to say this. I want you to tell them this, because we need these Levites here. Why? Because the hand of the Lord was upon him. The hand of the Lord was on the king to make the decree. The hand of the Lord was on Ezra. The hand of the Lord was on all the people that had gathered thus far. Ezra was not going to stop. So he chose these men and sent them to make a personal appeal for the Levites, reminding them of God's call on their lives and the honor and the responsibility that God had placed on that family line. No one else could do it. It had to be them. It had to be in that bloodline. This was God's plan to adorn and beautify his house. This was the plan of God that would one day cause the temple, the house of God, to be so adorned, so beautiful, that it would draw people from all nations. That was the prophecy. People from all over the world are going to see this temple functioning. They're going to see what God is doing here. They're going to see the sense of order, the sense of beauty, the sense of devotion. They're going to see the hand of God at work, and it is going to draw people from the four corners of the earth. Through this, God is going to bring about salvation to be available to everybody. Oh, Levites, you need to be a part of this. You don't want to miss this. Don't pass up this job for your cushy office job. No, you need to be a part of what God's doing. Do you realize what's happening here? Do you realize how big this is? Do you realize the implications the far-reaching implications of what God is up to. Ezra's faith went to work, sending messengers, articulating vision, making an appeal. He stirred up the faith in the hearts of a group of Levites. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion who brought some Levites brought a couple households of Levites, and the team was becoming complete. I know you don't like getting your hands dirty, and you're going to have to butcher a bunch of bulls and sheep, but, but know this. When you sprinkle that blood on that altar... When that smoke goes up from that altar and those sacrifices are being made, I want you to know all Israel is watching. And that is pointing them to their need. That is showing them that a sacrifice is needed. By you guarding the gate, manning the altar, you, you by what you're doing, are putting on display the holiness of God. You're putting on display humanity's need before a holy God? You are putting on display the plan of God to make right a sinful people before a holy God? All what you're doing, 
All this sort of menial labor, this hard work, this dirty work that you're doing. Do you understand the message that's being created when you do what you do? Do you understand God needs you to do this in order to communicate this message, this good news, to the world? You need to be a part of it. We need you. You need to be there. You should want to be there. God is doing something great. So I was thinking about this and thinking, okay, what would happen if next Sunday, say everybody just show up at 3 o'clock. Everybody just walk into the room at 3 o'clock. We'll just all stand here at 3 o'clock and we'll just be in the room together. Okay, nobody come early. No setup team. No worship rehearsal. No sound person, just we'll all just walk in at, at, at 3 o'clock and, and we'll have church. Okay, I don't doubt we could have church. And we could all stand in the room and say, oh, somebody got a song? Oh, I heard a Taylor Swift song on the way in. Why don't we sing that one? Uh, well, I don't know, what about, what about you? What do you think? Oh, and, and yet for us to gather... Four hours ago, people started coming in, pulling stuff out of storage, running cords, laying carpets, setting up stands, tech people on sound boards, people getting the lobby ready, setting up signs, getting chairs in order, musicians tuning their instruments, getting ready, all so that when we stand and gather at three o'clock, we can worship. On the first Sunday of the month, somebody has the arduous task of filling tiny little plastic cups with juice, one after another after another. And that might seem like tedious work. But let's think about what's really going on. Christina's filling up the little cups with juice. And she needs to know somebody's going to drink this see the Savior. Somebody's going to eat this little piece of bread and think of the bread of life and be reminded that Christ laid down his life. James or Carlos going to be on the soundboard and say, you know, because I'm operating this microphone, people are going to be able to hear good news. They're going to be able to understand God's word being preached. They're going to be able to hear it. Not many people carry their Bibles, so thankfully we got somebody, Al, Al's there on the monitor, and you can read the scripture right on those monitors as I was reading it aloud. Your children are back in classrooms being taught stories from the Bible, being told who God is and why our lives should belong to him. You have chairs to sit on. You can hear sound through speakers, through microphones. You can see things displayed. You've got a band leading us in song. We can stand, we can sing together. All these things a smiling face at the front door, greeting, glad you made it. So glad you made it this afternoon. 
All these parts, every member functioning, all these different things happening together what, to adorn, to beautify the house, to make the house a place of worship, to make it a place where we can all come, gather together, worship well together, pray for one another, pray to the Lord together about things on our hearts, all working together. God fitting together, knitting together every member, every little part, every little distinctive part, however it might feel individually, mundane, meaningless, not at all, not at all. God working every member, every part to beautify his house. Ezra faced a, faced a lack, didn't have enough, didn't have what he needed, didn't have what he needed to do what God called him to do. And so his faith went into, into action, started asking, making an appeal. He started presenting a vision of the kingdom, of what God was doing, and explaining to people, God is up to something. And this is why it is worth you and I investing our lives in what God is doing. Friends, sometimes faith looks like waiting. Sometimes faith looks like not doing anything. Sometimes faith takes action, and we get up, and we reach out, and we speak up, and we send out, and we appeal, and we draw in. And the hand of the Lord is what makes willing servants. If you find yourself anxious, when there's a lack, something's not getting done. Makes you tense inside, nervous, anxious, and so you say, I better, I better go do it because it's, it's not getting done. Probably not a faith. But reaching out, appealing, kingdom vision, what is this about? Faith at work, the hand of the Lord drawing in willing hearts to fill the spaces, to meet the need, to provide what's needed, to adorn and beautify the house of the Lord. Second point, when there's danger ahead, what does faith look like when there's danger ahead? Okay, the Levites are there, the company is complete, and they are ready to set out on their journey, but it is an extremely dangerous journey. I think they estimate between four and 5,000 men, women, and children in total here. It was a 1,000-mile journey. 1,000 miles. Okay, no planes, no trains, no buses, no cars. Just camels, mules, wagons, and sandals. That's how we're going to get there. 1,000 miles. It was summertime. The part we didn't read was a list of treasure. They were carrying an unusual amount of precious metal, estimated in the tons. Conservative estimate, 20 tons of gold, silver, bronze, okay? So now we've got 20 Brinks trucks without the engines to carry all the gold and the silver and the bronze. A thousand miles. And the journey is filled with bandits. 
Okay, just for example, let's say the elders heard from the Lord and we're going to pack up and we're going to move the church to El Paso. The Cross of Grace Church, Ricky Alcantara is there with his team and we decided we're just going to pack up Sovereign Grace Pasadena and we're going to make the journey from L.A. to El Paso and we're going to help them build and beautify Cross of Grace in El Paso. And we're walking in the summer to El Paso. Okay, it's a bad example because El Paso is only 800 miles away. We're not even there yet. But we're walking. Everything about this trip said danger, said problem, said I don't think we can make it. How are we going to do this? They needed military, a military escort to make this trip, but Ezra found himself in an awkward position. He bragged about how faithful God was to protect them. And when it was time to leave and he realized how much danger they were actually in, it dawned on him. Now, I don't know if he regretted what he said to the king. Maybe he had some second thoughts. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I spoke too soon. But he realized, here's how his faith was operating. He realized the best way to glorify God right now in this situation is for me not to ask the king for help because I boasted about how faithful God is. And so now I believe in my heart that the best way for me to honor the Lord and to trust him is for us to make this journey without asking for a police escort, without asking the king for a military troop to go with us to protect us because I told the king, God will protect us and God will fight against anyone who opposes us. must have been a hard reality check set in in Ezra's heart at this moment. And so he calls for prayer and fasting. Oh, if there was ever a good time to pray and fast, that was it. That was it. The life of faith is a life of dependence upon the Lord. That's what it means to trust the Lord. We live dependent. Now, I know most of you in the room, and most of us would easily affirm any day of the week, I trust the Lord. I'm relying on the Lord. We would all smile and nod and say, yes, that's, that's where I'm at. I, I trust the Lord. But when the danger is right there, and the danger is big danger, and you're facing it, you've got to walk into it, Now the question comes again. Will you trust the Lord? Now, one of the ways we express, one of the main ways we express that trust in the Lord is by praying. Praying is an expression of faith. It is us looking to the Lord, asking the Lord for help. And when it's really intense, we should fast. Fast and pray to communicate to God, to come humbly before him. He said, we fasted to humble ourselves before the Lord. 
prayer that truly reflects our need and truly looks with dependence upon the Lord is what we're talking about here. Fasting, actually creating physical, bodily need in order to increase our own awareness of our true need. When we deny our bodies what we know they need, we gain a feeling sense of need. And that sense becomes useful to relate to the Lord as our provider. Feeling hungry can bring spiritual wisdom. Because we need the Lord. I think Ezra and this group of people must be, wow, we really need the Lord. I'm not even sure how much we need the Lord. We probably need the Lord worse than we even think we need the Lord. We're going to deny our body's food. We are going to fast for a period of time, and we are going to get on our knees, and we are going to seek the Lord because we need him. One of the points I want to make is that, friends, saints, faith always seems to have its marching orders in our lives, and it doesn't always look the same. We're going to be staying through the book of Nehemiah after this, and Nehemiah is going to make a journey, and Nehemiah is going to have a military escort. And Nehemiah, when he does have a military escort, is just going to thank the Lord for it and say, this was the good hand of our God with us to give us this police escort to make this journey. But here in this situation, as we're saying, this is not what faith looks like in this situation. So, friends, we have to leave room in each other's lives for faith to find its expression. There is a, a leading of the Spirit. There's not a formula. There's not a, there's not a playbook that says every time this happens in your life, this is precisely what faith looks like. There's an aspect of being led by God's Spirit in this always looks like trusting the Lord, but its expression, its action, takes on a variety of forms. When there were no Levites, faith looked like going and asking for help. When facing danger, faith looks like only asking the Lord for his help. One way or another, faith has an expression. It has a function. Stand, watch, wait, ask, help, pray, pray, fast, get up, sit down, eat, don't eat, speak, shut up. Faith works with marching orders in your life, in your situation. The Spirit of God saying, this is what I'm calling you to. This is how I want you to respond. This is what it looks like for you to trust me. The formulas and principles are broad. We covered those last week. The details are spirit-led. Broadly, rely on the hand of the Lord. Do what Tammy shared. Make a diligent study of the hand of the Lord and encourage your heart that the hand of the Lord does all these marvelous, wonderful things and let it encourage your soul. Stay tethered to God's word. Make a diligent study of God's word so that that, that instruction of the Lord is tethering you, creating those boundaries and directives in our lives. And focus on the house of the Lord. 
not just your own personal happiness or your own success. What is God doing? He's building up his house. He's beautifying his house. He's using you and you and you, and he's coordinating this together to do something for his glory that we can all be a part of, but it's all about his house, his people, his temple, his church. Can I pose the question to you, what is faith's marching orders in your life? Maybe as I'm speaking, something is on your mind and you know that God's calling you to respond in faith in a certain way. Maybe you've known it but have been hesitant, maybe tentative, scared, fearful. What is it? Maybe it's time to sit and wait. Maybe it's time to step out and take a risk. Some of you might be here and say, "Uh, Pastor, honestly, that question, no clue. What is faith calling you to today? What What is going on in your life right now that God is saying faith functions in your life like this? And you say, not a clue, don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. Don't know where to start. Don't know what to think. Well, there's a couple things you could do, and I could just say, well, just do something. Just go do something for Jesus. Go just take a risk and do something. But I don't think that's not the advice that I want to give you. If you're really here and you say, I don't know what God's doing in my life. I don't know what faith is supposed to look like right now in my life. Here's what I would encourage you to do. To find a way to stir up in your own soul, to awaken your own soul to God, to the things of God. I was glad that Tammy shared that encouragement and that that challenge. I challenge you to seek God's word about what he is doing, to encourage your heart into it. I'm just, I think all too many Christians all too often are just walking through life half asleep. Half asleep because we have amused ourselves to death, because we have fixated so much on getting ahead, advancing our own agendas, finding our own way of life. And so you come here and you sit here and say, so what's God doing in your life? I don't know. So stop, pause. Let's take some time and find out what God is doing. Let's slow down. Let's quiet our soul and let's listen and let's press in and let's learn about who God is and what he's doing. It was exciting. I was meditating a little bit this past week. We're in January. It's 2023. I was thinking about 2022. I was thinking about 2022. And thinking, the year felt kind of on hold, kind of in limbo, a a little bit of a holding pattern in in a good way. So Lynn Baird had retired, and we're we're trying to ride through a season until the Owens come and get settled. So 
summertime, late summertime, the Owens make their way here and start getting settled in. But, you know, he's just getting settled in. He's working on his ordination. So everything is kind of just sitting a little bit. We're just kind of biding some time until we get ready to move forward. And that's a, that's a little bit of how 2022 kind of fell. We, we moved into this facility, had to change our time. And I, I don't know if you realize this, you know, when a church moves facility, it takes three to six months just to get your rhythm down of meeting in a new place and a new routine and all this stuff. And it seems like we're kind of finding our rhythm and it's all good. So what happened in that year were good things that needed to be happened. They're all sort of preparatory things that needed to be in place but now I'm looking at 2023 and thinking some things, some things are in place. And I, and I believe in my heart that as we're stepping into a new year, that there's aspects where, where God is going to challenge us in our faith. And there's going to be opportunities now to move forward. Okay, we had, to, we had to bide our time and things need to settle and get into place. But they're getting there, and, and we're there, and, and we're, we're ready now to, in a sense, launch into, okay, what does God have for us next? And I'm excited about it. We've got some ideas that we'll be talking to you about in the weeks and the, and the months to come, but it just feels like God had used a year to prepare us. Now we're standing by the river, a halava, ready to go to El Paso <laughs> by foot. I don't know what that journey is going to look like. I'm sure it will be filled with danger. I'm sure there will be risk involved. I'm sure it will be exciting and adventurous. And I'm sure, so sure, that the right hand of our God is with us on that journey. And I know that the right hand of our God is not only with us, but the right hand of our God is actually working in us and will work through us in order to build and beautify his house. That's what he's doing. And that's what we're part of. And that's what we set out to do together. We've got two situations in chapter 8 where there's lack and where there's danger. And in the Christian life, many times there's lack and there's danger. And we get just a glimpse here of what faith looks like when there's lack and when there's, in, and when there's danger. There is a third expression of faith. I didn't include it until now. But it's when God helps us. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. There's one more thing that sort of completes a cycle of faith, of trusting God. Worship. Faith runs a cycle of trusting. It acts, it responds, it asks, it requests, it humbles before God, it calls out to God, it entreats help from God. 
And the right hand of the Lord was with us, and they made the journey. They got all the way to Jerusalem. They stopped. They counted out the gold. They counted all the heads. Everybody was there. All the money was there. It was a successful journey because God was with them. Against all odds, it proved to be true. Ezra's faith proved to hit it right. The Lord did protect them. The Lord did see them through, did bring them to their destination, and brought them there safely. The hand of the Lord kept them from all the ambushes, from all the thieves and all the bandits along the way. The Lord kept them. And so faith completed its round with worship. A step we all too often can forget. I remember years ago leading one of the community groups in the church and asking someone in the community group, would you take responsibility to keep track of a prayer journal for our group? Because we realized as a group, we prayed together every time we gather and everybody's saying, this is what I need from the Lord and could you pray for this and pray for this? And too many times the Lord would hear and answer those prayers and we never would remember it or acknowledge it. We would just go through the motion of how can we pray for you? Great, we'll pray for you. We prayed for you and next meeting. And we realized this as a group and we said, you know, we need somebody to write these things down and we need to go back over these things every so often to recount how the Lord has actually heard us and met us. You remember the time when Jesus healed 10 lepers. One came back to give thanks. One who was a Samaritan, a foreigner, came back. And when he came back, Jesus said, we're not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? In other words, they're supposed to be here. Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? The one who was actually a Samaritan, apparently outside the grace of God by their perception. This teaches us something about faith. It confirms that faith is not a presumptive, demanding expectation of getting things from God. As if he existed under some obligation to give us what we supposedly deserve. If what we're asking from God is in our mind some kind of wage that is owed to us, then worship would have no place. You got your paycheck. You got what you deserved. God owed it to you. He gave it to you. Transaction is done. Paycheck received, paycheck cashed, and on we go. But that's not the way it is in God's kingdom. It's all of grace. We come as children to a loving father, making our request known to him. And his answers to us are all of grace. So it is always fitting, always fitting to stop and give thanks, to stop and worship. At this time, in this context, in Israel's history, they gave a bunch of burnt offerings. Alec Montier, a commentator writes about this. The burnt offering 
is the offering which expresses holding nothing back from the Lord. Hence the Hebrew word ola, the going up. So called because the sacrificial beast in its entirety was consumed on the altar and ascended in smoke. That was the kind of thanksgiving. Oh Lord, it's all yours. We're not going to slaughter this bull and eat it ourselves. We're putting this whole thing on the altar. All a sweet aroma to you. Let the whole thing go up in smoke. Lord, you were faithful. You carried us through. You sought us through. You brought us here safely in faith's full circle. Made its around from trusting God all the way back to praising and worshiping the Lord who heard and answered their prayer. Give the worship team come on back up so we can close with the song. God was at work in Ezra chapter 8. It's an amazing story to read that the right hand of the Lord was with him and brought this group of people a thousand miles through dangerous territory. God is still at work in our lives, in your life. It's the same God. We're here to be encouraged by what he did then because it's the same God who's at work. So my question is simple. Will you trust him? Will you? Will you trust him? How do you need to trust him? What's going on in your life right now that is calling you to trust the Lord? I know there is something. There's not a day that goes by that there is not some opportunity, some way that we are called to trust him. Do you? Will you? And what? What might faith's marching orders be for you today? When you realize how God is calling you to trust him, and what does faith look like in that situation? You could seek counsel, but you need to hear it from the Lord. You need to realize it. You need to seek the Lord. If you don't know, ask him. I know he would be glad to tell you, this is how I want you to trust me today. Let's, let's stand together and we'll close with a song.